Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here on the phone with me. I've got Heather Shoemaker, as usual. And Heather, we've got a guest virtually in studio via the wonders of the interwebs. Who are we talking to today? Yeah, we just met. Her name is Linda McGurk. And she's written a book that I think listeners will find pretty interesting. So, Linda, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. And can you just tell us the title of your book and where that title came from? So, the title of my book is There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather, uh, Scandinavian Mom's Secrets for Raising Healthy, Resilient, and Confident Kids, from Friluftsliv to Hygge. It's a long title. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And it was, it was actually supposed to be even longer. Uh, my uh, idea from the get-go was to base it off of this old Scandinavian saying, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. But the feedback I was getting from the editor was that some people thought it was going to be a book about fashion or focus on clothes. So they, they, they suggested we cut it, which we did. But... The um, that old Scandinavian saying really sort of sums up what the book is about, and that is that you know we go outside in, in all weather with our kids and um, just sort of foster that love for the outdoors and nature uh, from an early age, and that's it's a very Scandinavian thing. So that's kind of what gave me the idea for the book, and that's what it's all about. Great, and. Um dive into, because you pronounced it so well, those, those um, lovely Swedish words that were a little tricky to say. Right. So, friluftsliv, um, that's, that roughly translates to open air life. And it's the notion that you sort of um, enjoy nature just kind of in your everyday life. Uh, you embrace nature. It could just be, you know, a walk around the neighborhood um, just like the little things, it doesn't have to involve like, you know, packing up, uh, an RV and heading to a national park, which is great, but it's not really accessible to everybody. And, um, uh, I think every it's, day, right? It's right. It's not, it, yes. It's so three loops leave is more about embracing nature in the everyday and making sure that kids also get to, um, uh, delve into nature sort of on a, an everyday basis, even if you live in the city. Um, and then the second, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, let's, let's talk about this one for a little bit. I just mm-hmm. got to ask, do they have a lot of weather charts in Swedish preschools and kindergartens? You know, that's the American standby is you have the weather chart and and one little kid puts the cloud face on, and another one the next day will put the sun face on, and they talk about the weather, and they don't go outside. Right, right. Um, I, you know, I do. I think some preschools 
talk about the weather. I think talking about the weather in general is like a Scandinavian obsession <laughs> um, because the, the, the amount of rainy days just sort of outnumber the sunny days by far. Um, so we do talk a lot about the weather, but I think in preschool, um, it focuses more on being actually being out there. Being, being in the weather? Dressing. Being in the weather, yes. Uh, Linda, I was, it. I was in Florida a couple years uh, years ago visiting a an early learning program, and uh, to my dismay, they they didn't take the kids outside that day because it was it was too cold. It was uh, sixty four degrees. Wow. And, yeah. And and a little bit overcast, and there was a breeze. So um, that's that's Arctic temperatures in uh, in in mid yep. Florida apparently, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, right. I, I, I would, I, I think I would like to see those kids visit Scandinavia. Yes. Right, right, yeah. It's all about perspective, and I noticed, um, I've noticed a big difference just from moving from Montana, where I used to live for a while, to Indiana. And even though we get really cold winters here in Indiana, uh, it seems like. People don't sort of dress for it in the same way as they would in Montana. The school yeah. systems are not, they're not prepared for it. You know, we have a, we have snow days here where the schools shut down and the, the buses don't run. I mean, the school buses can't go out. And, you know, if you, if you did that in Montana, like the schools would never be open. Never, so exactly. it just really depends on where you live a lot. So I'm intrigued um, when you're talking, just to give people an idea of how much families embrace being outdoors. I, I gather that families also have their babies nap outdoors. Can yes, yes, this is uh, common. So that's kind of where it all begins, this nature connection. It, it starts already in infancy, and um, it's actually, it's a practice that is even recommended by physicians in the in the national healthcare system. So starting from when the baby is, yeah, basically newborn, I mean, it depends a little bit on the temperature, but it's common to start when it's, you know, a week or two old. Um, people will, uh, parents will take them out, take their babies out in the stroller and walk them around. And then they go to sleep in the stroller. And then you just kind of leave the stroller outside, assuming that you live in an area where it's safe to, to leave it. But it's very common to park park your stroller um, like uh, by your back door. Or um, some people even, if you go to a cafe in the wintertime and, and the baby is uh, asleep, sound asleep in the stroller, you don't want to like bring it into the heat where where it might wake up. You want it to keep sleeping. So a, a lot of people will, you know, park the stroller outside and, and uh, just kind of watch the baby from, from uh, or through the window. And, uh, you know, like I said, physicians recommend napping outside because it's, it, you know, the fresh air, the air is cleaner outside than it is inside. And the babies get used to it. So a lot of times they, they won't have it any other way after they get used to yeah. falling asleep in the stroller. Yeah, that's how they, that's how they want it. And it was the same with my baby, with my kids. Because I did it with both of them, and so there must be stories in the newspaper over there all the time about children uh, dying and being kidnapped and 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 frostbiting and all those terrible things, right? Because uh, well, or, or, not, or, or not. <laughs> not, not exactly. The the infant mortality rate is actually because I I do 
I, I do get that. Um, I, I've seen comments when, when, like on Facebook, for example, when, when there are videos showing uh-huh. these babies napping outside, I, I do get comments like that, you know, well, what, what about uh, sudden infant death syndrome? Or what about, you know, the temperature and, and you know, people think it's dangerous, but um, it's, it's really not. It's, um, uh, you, can, you can leave, providing that they're dressed appropriately, oh, yeah. you, can, you can leave them out in, in, um, in freezing temperatures and uh, the infant mortality rate is actually the lowest, uh, I believe, the lowest in the world in Scandinavia. <laughs> <laughs> it's even it. lower than it is here. Uh-huh. So, um, so the message is, if you're going to start doing this at home, make sure you get a good snowsuit or appropriate clothing for the baby before you try it. This right. a lot when, when my kids were little, but we did have snowsuits because we live up north and we understand about uh, right, right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I actually think excessive heat is a bigger problem than uh-huh. than the cold. Um, so I think there there would be days not in Scandinavia usually that are too hot for your baby to sleep <laughs> outside. We we don't typically have that problem, but I know in the states it's a little different, and especially in the southern part of the country. Um, I had a reader ask me the other day if I if I covered 150 degree heat in the book because she's from Phoenix, uh, Arizona, and uh, I said that's typically not a problem in Scandinavia, but you know, the, typically uh, with heat like that, you just kind of have to make sure kids are around water and um, yeah, so. But probably not the best idea for having babies nap nap outside in that kind of heat. So switching to somewhat older children, it sounded like um, your family started off with some interesting American schooling experiences and then um, tried out some of the Swedish um, schooling for, for at least your daughter. Is that right? Right. Can you paint us a quick picture of what her first school in the U.S. was like and what changes you saw when, when um, you tried out school in Sweden? Right. Is this my my oldest or my youngest now? Because they were both. You'd like to share. Okay. okay. Um, so so my oldest daughter, she was in second grade when we decided to uh, try moving to Sweden for a while, and she she had always been a good student, um, did her work diligently, and. Um, always, you know, usually got A's and she, she was a good, good student, but she never seemed to enjoy school very much. Um, and I think it kind of started in kindergarten. She, uh, we, she, she did go to a, a part-time preschool a few times a week and, and that was fine, but the switch to kindergarten was very rough. Uh, we have all day kindergarten in, in, um, Indiana and, uh, the days are long, and there's a lot of book work. Um, there's a lot of academics. It's it's very demanding, it's, and um, and the, the teachers will will say so themselves. I mean, it's just changed a lot in in recent years. And she uh, the, during the first uh, semester of kindergarten would just have these meltdowns after school, and just be generally exhausted. And it was kind of heartbreaking to me because I felt like she was just too young to 
to feel the way she did about school. At one point, she even told me that she hates school, and it broke my heart. Um, so then when we got to Sweden, I was a little concerned. I was worried about how she would take to the change and how she would blend in and, and all that, but it it was just a very smooth transition. She immediately um, found herself at home and she found friends and it was just, it was just a great situation. The school day is uh, shorter over there. There's more recess. Um, the kids still get homework, but there, since the school day is shorter, there's also more time to sort of deal with that. And I just saw how she flourished uh, from being at that school. She was enjoying school again. And uh, so that was and very encouraging. That, that you mentioned in the book is that the, the U.S., there was this focus on let's be ready to learn and behavior right. charts and all this kind of let's be ready to learn. What When she got to Sweden, it was more she wanted to learn. She was motivated from the inside to learn. She wasn't. Yes. Uh, she didn't have to have a motto that said, now I'm ready to learn. My hands are in my lap. And <laughs> right, right. And all those yes. Yeah. She was very. Um, yeah, she did. She initiated projects on her own and, and some just some some great, really great things happened. And she flourished socially as well and and on her own decided to do a presentation to the class and, and things like that. that I could never would have dreamed dreamed of. So and then um, my younger daughter, <clears throat> she went through a pretty big change, too, because she went to a preschool here in the States and uh and it, it was a play-based um, preschool and not as rigorous as a lot of other preschool as far as academics go. And, and she loved it. I mean, she, she really liked it. But um, she, once we got to Sweden, uh, she had the added bonus of actually getting outside to play a lot more during the day. The, the preschool system over there is very different. It's um, you can either have your kids enrolled part-time or full-time, um, and it works also as a daycare more than a preschool, so it's not it's not so focused on the academics. So she, um, but she had outdoor playtime every day with her with her little friends over there. So she had the bonus of um, she was already advanced academically, but now she had the opportunity to actually play outside with her peers in a preschool setting. So that was really good for her because she got to embrace outdoor play a lot more than she had before. So so let's look at some of this outdoor play because I think American parents are really interested in outdoor play and sort of lament the loss of connecting kids with nature, but they don't really know what to do about it. So um, there's one thing that's particularly Swedish or, or Scandinavian I'd like to bring up just because it's so fascinating. Um, but I'd also then like to get into ideas of what can we bring back, what can we transfer more easily into the U.S. to give um, families ideas. So the, the particularly Scandinavian idea is, um, I will try to pronounce this, the Alamansretten, the right yes. to public access. And uh -huh. in, in the way you describe it, this is how the whole country is set up just based on centuries of tradition, that anybody has the right to walk over anybody's land, private land, mm -hmm. 
included. You can walk through somebody's farm as long as you shut the gate and don't let the cows out. You can right. walk through somebody's forest. You can light a campfire. You can pitch a tent. You can pick their berries. You can pick their flowers. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't go too close to the house, it's basically as long as you're considerate and use common sense, you are allowed to walk and play and eat the, the, the berries yes. on everywhere yep. in the whole country. And yes. so this sort of gives people who are Swedish this idea of this is my land, I'm part of it, and I'm also responsible for it, but I'm going mm-hmm. to be outside in it because it, it sort of belongs to all of us. Right. Can you just quickly tell us something about that? Yeah, um, it's really amazing, an, an amazing system, and I didn't really realize how much it had meant to me um, and how much it had meant for my sort of connection uh, and feeling of belonging to nature until I moved here, and I didn't really have it anymore. So now... Um, you know, being here in Indiana, I, I live in rural Indiana, so I'm surrounded by green spaces. But when I start thinking about which of those are actually accessible to me and my kids to go and play, uh, it really cuts down on um, on the opportunities. So, um, but yeah, going back to to Alemansresten, it's it's uh, it's a very unique system, and I like I said, I, I didn't realize how you, just how unique it is until um, until I left the country because it's a it's a uniquely Scandinavian uh, thing. But I think it has done a lot for our connection to nature because uh, like nature groups or uh, daycares and preschools, they can all utilize the forest uh, for their learning, for their classes. Uh, schools use the forest for uh, teaching and uh, things like that. So I think, um, I, so they're, so they're uh, Americans tend not to like to talk about government intervention, but I think in Scandinavia, the government had a crucial role in, in sort of creating and establishing that um, and sort of encouraging people to really like recreate in, in nature, there's government support for that. So that is really a big difference. So how would you like that, Jeff, to just be able to go everywhere if you, when you were a kid and just go anywhere? I would <laughs> not. Um, big, uh, big private property guy here. No, I loved it. We, we, we spent some time in Ireland, um, a couple of years ago and it, there it's, it sounds pretty similar, similar there. We were out and, and I mean, they've got, got special stairways built over barbed wire fences for, for the hikers that are out, mm. out in the countryside. And I think it's delightful. I think it's a little bit too socialist for my personal tastes, but I, <laughs> but I, but I dig it. I mean, I, 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 I look for a little bit more balance. I, I, I don't know how close I want. I don't know who I want picking my berries. I mean. <laughs> yeah, especially the ripe ones. But I was thinking um, how yeah. we could create something like that, especially with the connecting the kids. They feel as if places are accessible. Right. Um, obviously not changing a whole government structure, which can right. be challenging. But even within yeah. a neighborhood or an area, if you check mm-hmm. in with neighbors and say, um, how do you feel about the kids roaming through your yard or, or mm-hmm. being in your woods and, and so on and, and establishing those um, connections yeah. so that you right. can 
and of course, it's all based on um, a lot of honor and responsibility and, and yes. caring for things. Because if the kids, you know, let's say your neighbor says yes, and then the kids do something that, that's mm-hmm. not good, it all ties the people together, and they have yes. to figure out, oh, I can't go over there if I'm not going to treat it well. Right. It's an interesting mix of um, uh, of emotional skills in order right. to have the access. Well, and I and think. I, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, I and I do have people tell me though all the time that you know that would never work in the U.S. and maybe it wouldn't. And I'm not saying that we should duplicate that system here. I, I don't think it would be possible to duplicate that system because we don't have that the same history um, uh, with it. But. Uh, I do think that it it really does help feel uh, it, it does help make kids feel responsible for for uh, the environment. Yeah, and uh, so that is crucial. And and, and there's already a, a version of that here. Um, I, I mean, I'm not a hunter, but I know people who are. And one of the big things about it, about it is that you, I mean, there's a lot of hunters that don't have their own land, but they get permission right. from from farmers and landowners to hunt on the land. And and the whole agreement is, um, hey, respect my land. I mean, uh-huh. I, and 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 so some version of that for four year olds going out in nature um, would would I think be incredibly doable because a lot of those landowners have a great love for their their property and 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 understand the value of of being out in in such spaces so i think uh uh, some sort of hybrid version of that could could be accomplished for anybody that wanted to set about doing it in in different communities or different areas yeah right and and can we tie this this into your idea linda about building up villages because you you were mentioning about um unsupervised kids and how rare they are in the U.S. and how it's, it's, it's a lot mm-hmm. more normal to have unsupervised kids being independent out in you know, getting themselves to school or the park or so on in Scandinavia. So right. the idea of being responsible for the land, maybe opening up some, some open spaces for use for schools or kids, but also that um, building that network of, of caring people who are going to be okay with seeing an unsupervised child and, and looking out for them. Right. Yeah. I think that's key really to build up these communities. Um, I think, so what, what we have in Scandinavia is that everybody is so on board with this idea that nature is an essential part of a good childhood. Um, you know, parents, grandparents, uh, um, healthcare workers, uh, teachers and, uh, preschool teachers, everybody kind of shares, this whole same vision. And I think so, I think the conversation has to, um, I, I think where we're at now here in the U.S. is that everybody's kind of starting to get, you know, get, um, are starting to get their eyes open to the benefits of outdoor play. And, and they're starting to realize that, you know, all the benefits it has for a kid's um, physical, uh, for their health, physical health and motor skills and just social skills and cognitive development. Um, outdoor play is really crucial to all that. And uh, so that's the first step, I think, just kind of recognizing how important this is and how important it is that we don't lose this in childhood. Because I have older, I have so many older Americans tell me constantly like, hey, we used to play outside from, from uh, dawn to dusk. You know, we wouldn't come in until 
like mom would tell us that dinner was ready and and i'm sure and i'm sure i'm sure we we all to a certain extent kind of romanticize this a little bit maybe but there was a lot more outdoor play um you know a few decades ago and i think a lot of people are starting to recognize that that's kind of gone missing from childhood so the first step is to i think just realize that we need it back and then for not only parents to realize that because uh you know if a parent only spends so much time with their child every time every day unless i mean unless you're homeschooling which some parents are doing just because they feel like they they can't get their kids outside enough if they don't and so you know, I think it'd be great to get the schools on board, and we're seeing some of that pop up. But it's it's very hard because the public schools have so many re requirements. Oh. Ignore that. Sorry. <laughs> what was that? That was our <laughs> outro music that I forgot to move because I was so busy okay. listening to you, and I wasn't looking at the computer screen. Uh, okay. <laughs> you you were too mesmerizing. Uh, no, the listeners <laughs> listeners won't have any idea what we were just talking about because they won't have heard it because I moved the file now. Sorry, listeners. Sorry, Linda. Sorry, Heather. <laughs> okay. So about yeah. So the village. Um, yeah, so, you know, so I think it's really important to get the, especially like preschools on board. And I, I just, I find it so sad that so many preschools feel like they have to like push these academics. They have to teach these three and four year olds to write and read. And when really that is not in the kids' best interest developmentally, uh, you know, so really i think we need to get preschools back onto the whole outdoor play um bandwagon too and and that's a big that, that's a big shift and and not all preschools here in the states are really set up for it either there's a lot of you know preschools in the in the cities but um so i think that's where community partnerships really could have could have a, a great role um, if there are green spaces in cities where preschools can go and, and um, take the kids. I mean, we're seeing it to some extent in the Pacific Northwest. I know in Seattle, there are some uh, preschools. And we have a lot of forest schools popping up. Mm -hmm. And some of them actually use public parks for most of their programming. So it can be done, but I think it, but it, that requires, of course, the city to be on board. And so you have to have like all these different, different levels of, uh, of society sort of involved in making it happen. Well, I think. just getting the staff on board could be a, can, can be a, a big battle because there are a lot of programs that, that 83% of the staff grew up sitting inside playing video games and the right. whole the whole out, out, uh, the whole idea of going outside and and supporting kids while they being supportive of children climbing trees is alien to them, and right, and right. so even at that level, it's a battle. Yeah, that's what I wonder with schools. Sometimes you know they uh, they uh, uh, they cancel outdoor recess because it's too cold uh, supposedly, but I wonder uh -huh. if it's not the teachers who think it's too cold rather than well exactly than, uh, the students um so and then litigation is a huge problem too and i know that the schools 
they, well, I, you know, I, they have to battle that. I, I was, I, somebody, I, I produced a number of podcasts and somebody shared a picture uh, with me the other day that her, her child brought home from school uh, of a, of a, her son wrote about, about one of the school rules is no running on the playground. And so he, he did this thing and I, wow. I shared that. And, and the thing about the litigation is, um, I don't think it happened. I think it's a fear of litigation, uh, and, and, and not so much real litigation because all these school districts right. that are, that are banning, uh, outside, uh, uh, running on the playground and and these kind of things also have high school athletic programs where where uh, mm-hmm. kids are involved in contact sports and and so I mean they could buy the insurance cover coverage that would cover running on the playground if they wanted to. That's a really good point, <laughs> actually. Yeah. So so Linda, to to kind of wrap up, I was wondering, can you share? ideas that you think are the most transferable from all the comparisons you've done with Sweden and the U.S. I mean, your advice is valuable because you you have a foot in both countries. So knowing the U.S., which parts of Sweden's philosophy towards kids do you think people can most easily incorporate, either as a family or in a program? Right. I think, actually, the one thing that will be, well, both the easiest and the hardest um, is to just have a sort of a changed attitude about the outdoors and uh, like dressing for the weather. Um, I think once we recognize the value of outdoor play and the fact that kids need it every day um, and that, you know, if we're prepared to actually dress for it and get out there, then that's a huge step right there and not just kind of, like have all these excuses for, you know, it's too windy, it's too cold, it's too rainy or whatever, but actually go out there and try and like enjoy, enjoy it for what it is. Like I've been out on a lot of rainy days growing up um, and, you know, there's fun stuff to do in the rain too. Actually to kids, there, there might be more fun things to do when it's raining than when it's not. So, you know, that's just a change in attitude. It doesn't really require, um, a lot of money. I mean, yeah, you have to invest in some good quality gear, but compared to what we spend on uh, electronic toys, you know, the average family, I think uh, it's it's pretty, I think it's still pretty negligible and it's a good, a good investment. So um, I think there, and then, like I said, also about building community. I think the public school system is, is very hard to change, um, but uh, there has been some progress there too with some more forward thinking teachers who have started taking their classes outside, maybe even just like once a week or, or a, a, a PTO that's proactive and creating like a natural playgrounds, for example. Um, that's, a, that's a great way of getting kids in the city more connected with children rather than having like all this just sort of sterile commercial play equipment, like bring in some rocks and logs and uh, grow a butterfly garden. And I mean, there are a lot of things that you can do even in the cities to sort of bring, if there is no nature there where the kids are now, you can bring it to them by creating these natural playgrounds. Um, So, and there's there's a lot more. We can say that bring nature to kids, bring kids to nature. Both goes Mm -hmm. both directions. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just, just stopping the practice that some, some early learning programs engage in by a staff person going out and, and walking around the playground and picking up any stick that happened to fall onto the playground during the night, just, just allowing, you know, a stick or two on the playground might be mm-hmm. a baby step for some of them. Right, right. <laughs> So, I mean, you could take the next step and put a Swedish troll in their playground. <laughs> uh, for re- uh, listeners who are intrigued, there's a great photograph of a friendly troll, complete with a horn on his head, who, who helps teach children to love nature. So keep right. the sticks, add the troll, and get the kids in the nature together. It's all about baby steps. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, and hopefully so my much. book will help. Well, yeah. Linda, tell yeah. us where to find the book and, and where to find you on the interwebs and all that kind of stuff. What should our listeners know about, about you and getting in touch with you and getting more of you in their day? Yeah, so um, I run a blog called rainorshinemama.com, and that's mama with two N's because that's how we spell it in Sweden. And uh, on my blog, I share all my best tips for getting kids outside and just enjoying nature. I got some crafts and um, just tips for adventuring with kids, camping, hiking and such. Um, How to protect your child from a snake bite. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just... Yeah. That's, that was a recent guest post, but yeah, and I'm I'm on most of the social media too, so you can just look it up. Rain, Rain or Shine Mama is kind of my moniker, and uh, the book will be, I think, in uh, most major bookstores, and of course, always online at um, Amazon and all those other online booksellers will have it as well. So it's going to be out on October third. So. I just pre-ordered my Kindle version right now. I can't wait All to. Right. I can't wait to and get my hands on it. it. While you guys are at it, ordering Linda's book, there's no such thing as bad weather. Why don't you couple that with getting a good snowsuit and mittens and rain boots and all that? Yes. Do you, speaking <laughs> of that stuff, uh, Linda, do you have any? I haven't been through the blog much yet, but do you have any recommendations for that stuff? Those kind of articles on there about how to find the good stuff or what stuff they should have, those kind of things. Yes, I do have, uh, I do talk about gear too. I make some gear recommendations on my blog. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Because those, ca- I mean, I think that's, that's, that's some valuable recommendations for people there, having somebody, yes. somebody who they can, they mm-hmm. can trust giving them recommendations. Absolutely. So that's, that's good. That's a place pe- yep. listeners can go. Excellent. Yep. Yep. Anything yeah, so else we should? No get your book and get your attitude. Those three things. <laughs> and and yes. maybe go have another baby and let it sleep outside. no i I mean don't have a don't don't just have a baby just so it can sleep outside don't do that but i mean (laughs) if you're planning a baby let it sleep out okay let's just be done Uh, (laughs) (laughs) too late for that (laughs) thanks linda hey this has been renegade rules we'll be back soon with another episode check linda's stuff out on the interwebs get those kids outside enjoy it life is short make every moment of it um bye-bye bye okay bye-bye thanks for listening we'll be back next week with another episode music by alexander shoemaker This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.